The Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Luke, chapter 18, beginning at the first verse. Glory to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Then Jesus told them a parable about their need to pray always and not to lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor had respect for people. In that city there was a widow who kept coming to him and saying, Grant me justice against my opponent. For a while he refused, but later he said to himself, Though I have no fear of God and no respect for anyone, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will grant her justice so that she may not wear me out by continually coming. And the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God grant justice to his chosen ones who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long in helping them? I tell you, he will quickly grant justice to them. And yet, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, was praying thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even like the tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all my income. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even look up to heaven, but was beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man, this man went down to his home justified rather than the other. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, but all who humble themselves will be exalted. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Let's pray. Loving God, may the words that I speak and the reflection, the meditation of all our hearts and minds draw us closer to you, that we might be people who seek justice and live with humility before you and one another. Amen. Well, according to my calculations, we have five weeks left uh, with Luke as he proclaims the kingdom of God through Jesus' life and ministry. Remember that in Luke, Jesus is proclaiming good news to the poor, release to the captive, sight to the blind, and freedom for the oppressed. When our new church year begins with Advent in late November, can you believe that? Five weeks. We will immerse ourselves in Matthew's gospel. And I love that the church holds us in this cyclic rhythm, holding us season after season, year to year, as we are swished around in the washing machine of life and not always on the gentle cycle. <laughs> when Luke wrote this gospel, it was always also very turbulent times. And today's parables reflect that sense of struggle and uncertainty. Like other readings 
from recent months, these parables are only found in Luke. Now, this can be confusing if we think of the Gospels, as I've mentioned before, as it can be easy to think that they are CCTV footage of Jesus' life, which of course they are not. Luke carefully sets his material out in a particular way and he begins his gospel. He tells us this right at the very beginning of his gospel. He says, since many have undertaken to compile a narrative about the events that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed on to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word, I too decided as one having a grasp of everything from the start to write a well-ordered account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may have a firm grasp of the words in which you've been instructed. So while this well-ordered account assures Theophilus that he can be confident about the reliability of what it was he's been taught, it's not quite so straightforward for us. Images and illustrations like we heard today would have been clear to the original hearers, and most of them would have been hearers. There would have only been a few who were readers of the gospel. But these illustrations and images can be confusing for us, and that's okay. The beautiful thing is that the Bible wonderfully and mysteriously reveals who God is to people at all times, in all places, from all cultures, and invites them and us to respond. So why does Jesus tell his disciples this parable about their need to pray always and not to lose heart. Well, it's because he's just told them that the end time is not yet, when perhaps they thought it was. The early church believed that faithfulness and endurance were needed because at any time the Lord might return and they would be called to give an account. Jesus has just said to them, the days are coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man and you will not see it. So a parable about praying is very apt. And a parable about praying without giving up in turbulent times where injustice was rife and the future was uncertain is especially apt. To pray always and not lose heart is to pray with boldness and courage and persistence. You'll notice that Jesus actually doesn't define prayer within either of these parables. Rather, the parables point to being faithfully persistent in the face of injustice and assuming an attitude of humility. I think Luke makes it clear that for him, prayer is faith in action. Last week, I defined faith as an appreciation for all that God has done for us in Jesus Christ and then living out of that. Prayer is living out of that gratitude for all that Jesus has done for us, for, for who Jesus is. Praying without giving up is to live tenaciously 
in pursuit of the kingdom of God so that we might pursue justice, mercy, love, forgiveness, reconciliation, grace. So prayer doesn't prove our relationship with God. In a way, prayer is our relationship with God. The first parable introduces us to someone that we probably wouldn't want to encounter if we found ourselves in court. He is a judge who has no regard for either people or God. And we meet a widow who comes to him seeking justice. In Jesus' time, widows were often amongst the most needy and vulnerable in communities without the protection of familial ties. Widows were also very strong women at times, and um, especially uh, when we encounter them in Luke's, they had formed communities where they were people who prayed with great devotion for the needs of um, the, the early Christian community and the wider community. Luke's readers and listeners would not be holding out much hope for justice here. While the widow has a need for justice in her vulnerability, the judge feels no shame before people. And this is significant because in an honour-shame culture, a community sense of honour would be expected. He would be expected to observe a code of chivalrous behaviour toward this woman. This is quite different from our Western awareness of an individual sense of right and wrong. Well, since the judge has no sense of honour to which the woman could appeal, she has one card left to play. She can plead and not give up, and that's what she does. Repeatedly, she comes to the judge and says, grant me justice against my accuser. Well, our news feeds and newspapers, even this very weekend, are full of stories crying out, of people crying out for justice against an accuser. People who've been mistreated, misunderstood, misquoted, misrepresented. Their stories are painful, often complicated, and they're troubling. And we expect our political and legal system to deliver justice. We expect our church governance to deliver justice within the church. So how can we be vigilant in calling those in power to account? And then there are the countless people who have no voice and no advocate to cry out for justice on their behalf. Are there people for whom your voice could be a voice of advocacy? The parable is composed very skillfully because from an introduction that seems completely hopeless, the widow's persistence is eventually painted in actually quite a comical light to give emphasis to the point of the story. When the judge says, because the woman keeps bothering me, I will grant her justice, the words that Luke uses literally mean, I'll give him, that she will give him a black eye, like she will metaphorically sock it to him. For me, that conjured up the image of a Punch and Judy show. 
But as I ran through the sermon with Brad, he had no idea what a Punch and Judy show is. And so I thought many of you may not either. And if you don't, just let it go through to the keeper because it is not crucial to the sermon. However, if that's helpful for you, there it is. The widow damages the judge's reputation, shaming him into delivering justice. You see, any God-fearing judge would observe the demands of the of the Torah, that's his job. The Torah was the law of God given to the Hebrew people through Moses, and we have that law included in our Christian scriptures in the first five books of the Old Testament. So we find in Deuteronomy 27, cursed be anyone who deprives an alien, an orphan, or a widow of justice. And then the prophet in Malachi chapter 3 reiterates this. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be swift, this is God speaking, I will be swift to bear witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired workers in their wages, the widow and the orphan, against those who thrust aside the alien and do not fear me. It's likely, it's very possible that this parable is drawn from the wisdom of Ben Sirach. Sirach, which is also known as Ecclesiasticus, is one of the books read as scripture by people in the Catholic and Eastern Orthodox traditions from which some of you have come. So many of you may be familiar with the book of Sirach. In Sirach 35, we read a story that is very similar, very similar to this parable. And I mention this because I think it's really helpful for us to understand the richness and complexity of the sources of material that have become included in the Gospels by their writers. And then you might also remember the story that comes that uh, is in Luke chapter 5 about uh, a neighbour who comes and knocks on the door in the middle of the night and says, wake up, wake up, have you got a loaf of bread? I've got visitors, they've come late and I've got nothing to feed them. And the friend who's been woken from his sleep says, ah, oh, go back to bed, everyone's asleep. No, no, I've got nothing, I can't help you out. And the parable says... I tell you, even though this person will not get up and give his neighbour anything out of friendship, at least because of his persistence, he will get up and give him whatever he needs. The unjust judge disregards the Torah's demands for justice for the widow, and he relents because she persists in her request. The widow is seeking justice in an often unjust world as do we. But we don't cry out to an unjust judge who has no regard for people. The picture of God painted by Jesus throughout his own ministry and in his very being is of someone who is long-suffering and rich in mercy. And will not God grant justice to his chosen ones who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long in helping them? I tell you, he will quickly grant justice to them. And yet, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? 
the parable lands by suggesting that Jesus seems perfectly aware that his followers have frailties. Regardless, he encourages them to remain faithful in prayer as a way of life and to trust that eventually they will receive justice. We too cry out to God for justice and we don't always, in fact, perhaps not often, do we receive an immediate answer, which leaves only one conclusion. It appears that we are in this thing for the long game. When today's reading says that God will quickly grant justice, it means that when the time comes, the outcome will arrive quickly. It doesn't mean that the outcome will arrive quickly, like today or tomorrow or the next day. So if we are in this life for the long game, we have a lot to do to proclaim the kingdom of God through words and actions for others, to reveal Jesus Christ to others, and to participate in what God is doing in the world with others, to be people who seek after justice. This most definitely will not always be easy in the short term. However, it will define us as faithful people who set out to apply God's law of love in all our dealings with one another and with others. While we are not without sin, while our faith is not always strong, and while our being called by God does not automatically protect us from failure, the good news of Jesus, the good news that Jesus proclaimed is that God is always faithful and always just. We can confidently place our lives in God's hands, even when we fall short, even when we feel angry or disappointed or betrayed or disrespected. When faith is understood as an appreciation for all that God has done for us through Jesus Christ, our lives as Christians are so much more than simply waiting to go to heaven. Every day, Every day of our one wild and precious life gifted to us by God matters for the kingdom of God. When we live out of appreciation, knowing that God is in the business of reconciling all things, we need only be faithful. Faith is a long game. Prayer is a long game. Justice can be a long game. On Thursday evening, Anne McGuinness and I drove down to Ballina to hear a public address by the Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin Welby. In his address entitled, Building Peace Amidst Robust Diversity and the Q&A that followed, Archbishop Justin offered some profound insights into this whole business of living faithful lives in a turbulent world full of conflict and diversity, lives that proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ and the reconciliation that he offers amidst conflict in family life, community life, church life, national life. Firstly, he said, there can be no peace without reconciliation. While in Jesus Christ all things have been reconciled, 
we are yet to experience the fullness of that reality. He is someone whose work includes mediating where there is conflict in church and national life and in negotiating peace. He told us that he is meeting regularly with the leaders of the church in Russia and the Ukraine. That's a very complex space. And that together with the Pope and the Metropolitan from the Eastern Orthodox Church, they are regularly in conversation and prayer as they try to offer something into that, into that space. No, not only in that space, in many places where there is conflict in church space and national life. He concludes that, rec that reconciliation, the, that in the first step towards reconciliation, the party who has the power needs to concede that wrong has been done. And this requires humility, which is the characteristic that we see demonstrated in the second parable we heard today. He emphasized that oversimplifying complex issues can compromise helpful outcomes and diminish the effectiveness of reconciliation. He said the way that we begin a conflict and manage the issues throughout a conflict impact the extent to which reconciliation be accomplished as the conflict resolves. And then he talked about how we live with diversity and said we needn't be afraid of diversity. There's always been diversity. Look outside, just need to look outside the window and diversity is the reality of the created world. And we're a part of that. So this is what he suggests. Rather than being judgmental, be curious about others' perspectives. Ask questions, drill down deep, seek to find understanding. Be present to others as we listen and share perspectives. And then be willing to forgive and know that in, in forgiving, we don't need to give up our identity. So be curious, be present, be willing to forgive. Archbishop Justin also said we can be confident that God will not abandon the church, which is the landing place of our first parable this morning. And when we try to focus outwards together in mission, it will do a lot to help our internal differences become more relative. We don't need to be the loudest voice in the room. Again, we heard that in the second parable. Stuart posed a challenge in his blog this week. If you haven't read it, I'd encourage you to do so. He finished by saying, I wonder if we can prayerfully reflect on what the small details are that might become big barriers for people who would like to join our church community. Perhaps by being, by being people who notice others and prayerfully persist in seeking justice in large and small ways, people will discover the kingdom of God in action, alive and well amongst us. And as we do that, we can remember that we are in this for the long game. Amen.